tension. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, October 12th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, really looking forward to it, we're talking cooperatives, employee ownership, and some cool work going on in Alabama with Kevin Burns. Before we get into that, I want to take a moment to thank our very first sponsor for Shop Talk. At the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exist as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. And really do appreciate Labor Notes. Uh, They have some great events coming up in the next month or two, uh, which I will share with you at the end of the episode. Uh, But I do want to note real quick that Lisa from Labor Notes, one of their new organizers, uh, is supposed to come on the show next week. Uh, We will be an hour late next week. It'll be at 1030 uh, Central Time, 1030 a.m. Central Time, um, just to make sure we can accommodate Lisa. uh, But really looking forward to that conversation. Every month we do a Labor Notes themed episode. Uh, so for this month, uh, Lisa's going to come on and talk a little bit about her new work with Labor Notes. And then I'm really excited. We're going to talk about 10-minute meetings. The UAWD, Unite All Workers for Democracy, uh, the Reform Caucus within the United Auto Workers, UAW, uh, they have put out some excellent guides and resources on how to have 10-minute meetings um, as a member, whether you are a leader in your union or just a rank-and-file activist you can do 10-minute meetings and have a lot of success with that. Uh, So looking forward to that training next week. Um, In the meantime, really looking forward to today's episode. We're going to talk about something a little different. Um, 
you know, as I say every week, the goal of Shop Talk is to be educational. There's some stuff that just selfishly I want to learn. Uh, there's stuff that we hear from y'all in the audience about. Uh, and then there's stuff that we think would be useful or relevant to the labor movement. Stuff that we think, you know, is really worth sharing among labor activists, labor organizers, uh, and workers who are interested in learning more about the movement. The topics of cooperatives and employee ownership have come up, you know, from time to time these past few years that we've been on the air. And, you know, those are topics that I'm interested in learning more about, uh, particularly how it may be relevant to workers here in the South. Um, I know I did an episode of Shop Talk uh, earlier this year where I mentioned a cooperative town uh, called Powderly, Alabama, that was formed by the Knights of Labor back in the late 19th century. Uh, and that really was interesting to me. Uh, I've heard folks like Richard Wolf talk about worker co-ops for years. Uh, so I've been interested in learning more. And thanks to a mutual connection, I was introduced to Kevin Burns and Daniel Wade Marshall of the Sand Mountain Cooperative Education Center. So with all that out of the way, uh, Kevin, welcome to the Valley Labor Report and Shop Talk. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, Going to get you here on the screen. Uh, it's always tricky when it's just me by myself here in the studio. But uh, thanks oh, nice. again for joining <laughs> me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and I wanted just to give you a chance to introduce yourself first off. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, great to be here. I'm just coming off of um, the first employee ownership conference I've been to, um, which was up in Huntsville uh, the last two days. And that was that was pretty cool. I mean, honestly, a lot of the employee ownership people, they're very business, they're a little stuffy. So it's great to be here on the Valley Labor Report back to kind of more my roots. I was a teacher in New York City for six years, and I was a chapter leader at my school. So uh, my background's more education and labor. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's really cool to talk to some of the folks at these employee-owned companies because, you know, I'm talking to truck drivers who are set to retire with, you know, a million, two million dollars in their ESOP account um, and their retirement plan uh, as a result of employee ownership, you know, talking to guys who make tractor parts who are retiring with $6 million in their ESOP account um, as a result of employee ownership. So a little more about my self and how I got into this. Like I said, um, I was a teacher for six years in New York City. I taught seventh grade social studies in the Bronx. Nice. Um, Former social studies teacher here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout out to Burnside Ave um, in the Bronx. Uh, yeah. And basically uh, how I got involved in employee ownership and specifically in Alabama was um, I met a a friend of mine, Daniel, at uh, our teacher training program um, in New York, and uh, another one of our friends, uh, Bendary, and we decided to come down to Alabama. His family's from Birmingham, and he wanted to, his grandfather, who had been a fire chief in Birmingham, had just passed, and he wanted to show us um, Alabama. So we went down, went to Gulf Shore, went to Birmingham, 
And then he uh, said that his grandfather had this property in Pickens County. He wanted to show us. It was a tree farm, which he called the, uh, I think he called it like the money hole farm because it only lost money. But uh, he brought us out there and basically revealed, you know, uh, all of us were coming from organizing backgrounds um, in college. And he was like, you know, I want to do something good with this property. My grandfather left it to me, my mom and my aunt, and we all want to do something with it. And we were like, all right, uh, you know, we were in, 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 in our training program. We had a lot of high-minded ideas, I think, about what education could be, um, you know, why are schools places that just be the love of education out of kids, right. um, you know, and what can we do to change? So we decided we're going to try to make a school. We keep coming down. I spend all the last, I guess so, that was like eight years ago. I've spent every summer in Alabama since um, while working as a teacher in New York. And we started building this org organization, the Sand Mountain Cooperative Education Center. Pretty quickly, we realized uh, starting a school is a regulatory nightmare. <laughs> and, you know, you need a lot more money um, than we had access to. So we started a summer camp in 2019. And we actually started in Gunnersville because his grandfather had also built a small cabin, which where I am now, you can see the beautiful um, ceiling here. His grandfather picked out every single plank so that you would have just the right knots nice. in the ceiling. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful little house. But um, we decided to start running the camp out of here because we're right here on the lake. It's just uh, beautiful. So we've been running that summer camp th since 2019. We teach. Um, we teach the way we thought about the camp and what were the most useful things we could teach people. We thought about the question, what are the skills it takes to be free? Because mm. um, we we thought about what are the some of the preconditions people need to to be free. And one is, of course, uh, material, which I think, you know, the left uh, mostly focuses on and kind of the background where you're coming from. And I think that's absolutely true. And, um, and another one is of course, kind of like mindset and, you know, people talk about consciousness and whatnot. Um, what we thought was really interesting and, and, and part of this was supposed to be a match between what did people want in the area? What could we actually provide? It's kind of how we ended up here. That's the other reason we did the summer camp is for like three years, we we're just surveying people kind of, um, because we weren't exactly sure what we were doing. We were pretty young. Right. And people and you were be, like, you got to be in touch with the community. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, and you, and you have no chance if you're, if, if you, if you aren't. So, you know, people down here were telling us, uh, they wanted, more childcare and they, and they wanted transportation. So that's where, how it actually became a summer camp was, um, what does a summer camp provide? Our, our camp is completely free. It's a day camp, but it's from uh, 9 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday for three weeks in the summer. And this week, this year we ran five weeks. Um, so we provide three meals a day. Uh, and we are picking up the kids, you know, our, we have staff members driving uh, our cars that we bring in from out of state, a rental car, um, and a couple like 
90s Camrys that we have to go pick up the kids because that's what people need. You know, transportation stuff around here. Shout out to the Automotive Free Clinic, of course, our mutual connection. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, we started the the camp. And oh, I was talking about uh, skills to be free. Yeah, the idea was that um, <clears throat> the ability to say do democracy to run democratic institutions is a skill set, right? You right. have to be able to, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to uh, run meetings. You have to be able to build consensus, right? You have to be able to uh, delegate tasks and follow up on them, right? <clears throat> There's a lot of organizational skills required so that's basically what we teach the kids and the kids help run the camp with us um are, are not help i mean it's just we run it uh, as a consensus model with the kids so that includes off season they're they are in meetings making decisions about budget about uh timing about recruitment about staff personnel they interview our staff right um so all the major decisions they are um an equal part of and like i said yeah we use a consensus model so um that is teaching them the skill set required to create the and run their own organizations right as they identify problems in the world that they want to solve they're going to have the ability to organize people to address them so that and the camp team is lamplight um and again it's in Gunnersville. But yeah, sorry, I'm, for, I'm just been going out. No, you're you're yeah, great. You gotta you're stop great. me. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot there to to unpack, and I really really like that framing of what what's what do you need to be free, and and what skills do you need to be free, and you know I think all of us who've tried to be an activist or an organizer or just an advocate of any kind in whatever setting, whether that's in the labor setting or elsewhere. You know, mm -hmm. you run into people who um, who do struggle with those skills, right? They they maybe have a passion, maybe they have a burning mm -hmm. issue, uh, mm -hmm. maybe they have expertise to share, but they don't necessarily know how, how to go about that. Like, how do you make some change? How do you uh, mm -hmm. get your organization to do something? And what does that something look like? Um, and so that's really, really fascinating to me that uh, you know, you've got young folks who are practicing those skills and learning those skills because, you know, that is not something that they get much experience in in, in the traditional education setting. Um, and so I think that's really meeting a need. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting that you, you know, would be drawn to Alabama, uh, you know, of all places. Uh, but <laughs> I think it's important that, that this is happening in a place like Alabama because, uh Practicing democracy is not something that uh, is really emphasized here, mm -hmm. and it is more so in other cultures and in other areas. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've had friends from Vermont talk a lot about the town meetings in Vermont and, and you know, the just the culture of participating, yeah, totally. yeah. you know, and mass participation and, and being comfortable with that and, you know, expecting that. And that is just really not how it is here. Uh, so, you know, all that to say, I really I think that's that's, you know, really fascinating. Um, and and I'll, I'll circle back to some of the other work that y'all are doing as well. But, you know, yeah. you told me a little bit in terms of what interests you, but I wonder if you could expand on 
you know, what is it about cooperatives and employee ownership uh, that yeah. really interested you? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And just because you you mentioned it, uh, the the point about um, specifically being in Alabama, um, yeah, we're I mean, really happy that we chose, I think, the right place to do it. And it's for a couple of reasons. We used to talk about, you know, we were living in New York, New York City at the time. There are so many organizers already, so many projects, so many people. I mean, half of them should probably just collapse into each other, right? Like, And it's not like that's not the case here. There's so many people doing incredible work here, and we're lucky to have met to have met them. But there's that. The the bigger factor here was just the presence of the state, you know. I mean, we're we're in Marshall County out here, uh, you know. We're it's not Pickens, but it's but we're pretty country out here. And um, we used to say, you know, in New York City, there's no cracks. There's nowhere the state isn't. There's nowhere capital isn't. We were in a place where we had finally some space. And mind you, you just couldn't afford to do it, you know, in New York. So those were some of the some of the initial factors was we felt like Alabama presented an opportunity. That's not even the most important thing. The most important thing for us was we wanted to work uh, with uh, rural working class kids. And we do. And we had this idea that, like, like you said, there's not necessarily a ton of democracy style you know i mean people in new york would just call it progressive ed and i don't think they would necessarily understand what we're doing but there are schools that look kind of like that and some of us had worked at some of them and uh you know the question was kind of like would this work with rural working class kids and we're like we know it's going to work and it worked infinitely better you know because uh when our kids down here when they're in a meeting and they're trying to come to consensus they're uh, frankly i don't know what it is but they're just not needlessly creating conflict like <laughs> frankly they're just um the most reasonable kids i've worked with i don't know if it's a if it's if it's like a country thing um i'm from the twin cities originally in minnesota but i i, I it's just something i noticed and um That's interesting yeah, it works really well. I just feel like they're problem solvers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so anyway, that's just something to, you know, because I think if you're if you you kind of have, I don't know, I don't I don't need to get too far off the deep end, but I think some of the kids in the city with liberal kind of uh wealthier parents tend to feel like more strongly about their kind of perspective and their their individual uh needs being the most important right and i think there's something a little more communal about about some maybe the kids we work with down here right yeah that makes sense Um, yeah yeah you know what i'm saying yeah but anyway i don't need to be just needlessly pontificating on on, on folks here but uh, you asked about employee ownership um yeah man i mean to be honest i came from uh, from uh from a left you know uh from a leftist organizing background and um you know we were very serious about, <laughs> about the idea of uh, workers owning the means of production, and we still are. I think when Marx identified that, I think 
I think he was really onto something. Um, I, you know, it's no secret to any of your listeners uh, that, you know, um, you, you know, say what you will about the political system and whether it's a democracy or not, um, or it just has democratic features. One thing we know is the economy isn't. Right. right. I mean, it's it's a dictatorship at work. And obviously all of your listeners are are well aware of that. And um, of course, that's completely structures the material conditions that we all live in. Um, and I think is is certainly to me the defining feature of capitalism and its most oppressive um, relation. So. Employee ownership for us is the means to get to a democratic economy, um, both in terms of the power relation and also uh, the results materially of what our uh, our our mode of production produces. So, um, yeah, I mean, I bring up the kind of some of these people we've met, like I said, like folks that work in, um, you know, uh, a factory that produces tractor parts retiring with six and a half million dollars because they own the wow. company. You know what I mean? Um, that's just like a slice of what ownership can do. And that's happening right now. And that's the other reason we were hugely drawn to this is because there are so many successful employee owned companies and the left doesn't know about them um there's people the left tends to know about co-ops and co-ops are amazing too for me the different forms of employee ownership are just tools in the in the toolbox you know what i mean it depends on the company if you're going to go with a, a esop which is an employee stock ownership plan which is basically when you create a trust and then the trust buys the company and the workers own the trust and the reason for the kind of you know extra step is just that um esops pay f uh, like f way fewer taxes almost none compared to your average publicly or privately owned company um so yeah it's just a it's a quirk of the tax law fascinating history it has everything to do with huey long jr bizarrely um getting that one passed nationally um but, you know, those that tends to be for slightly larger firms is a method of employee ownership. And whereas cooperatives tend to be smaller, um, we are interested in both. Our organization, the Sand Mountain Cooperative Education Center, is, um, is meant to um, expand and strengthen cooperatively and worker-owned um, companies and institutions in Alabama. That's what we want to do. So um, we're working with a company now that might be interested in becoming a cooperative um, based on the size and what the company is. Uh, it, it seems like that would be the better model, but hey, if it was bigger, we might we might try to make it an ESOP. But anyway, to get back to it, and, and I'll try to wrap up this point. Um, yeah, I mean... The main reason we we decided to sh really shift our focus to employee ownership is because uh, we th we basically we think it's a winning strategy. I think it can win. Like um, I remember, I feel like it's 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 been long enough that I can probably say this. 
Ain't nobody coming for us. I remember when David Don't get yourself in trouble now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, the best part is I'm just going to toss Daniel in anyway. Just because, man, those guys had, uh, you know. uh, Anyway, well, I'll just create some plausible deniability. I remember when Daniel and I were in the black block uh, after a specific election and we're in D.C. And, you know, we're getting chased all over by the cops or whatever. They're... The other folks participating are breaking shit, et cetera, et cetera. Daniel told me to put the break down, whatever. Anyway, uh, (laughs) the point is we're just like, I had this kind of dawning realization. I think we both did that. Like this wasn't working. It's not that we're against it. Um, You know, I think I'm probably always support on some level, all these folks, Um. But it's just kind of not working. And then also, frankly, talking to one of our friends who, um, you know, is from Egypt, and we've spoke a lot about the revolution there and 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 how it turned out. And it just that more than anything made it feel like the stakes were just way higher than I had thought of them as being before. And it kind right. of made me re-examine a lot of history that I that I had thought one way about and it's just it kind of became clear to me that like some of the more insurrectionary politics were um more effective at starting civil war than at winning uh uh working control of the means of production and it's not that if something popped off like I wouldn't know what side I'd be on but what I found was that there's all these companies that are out competing their competition in employee ownership and the workers own them. And it seems to me, and, and many of them are run democratically, like don't, let's not get it twisted. A lot of them are just owned by the workers and then the workers are able to elect say the board or they have board membership. So then the board elects the management. So there's like representative democracy in most, in a lot of these companies Right. And then just a regular management structure. So they're not all democratic by any means. But, you know, if that's the workers decide they don't feel like dealing with with much more than their job and and voting for management every once in a while, they can still fire the management. You know what I mean? Like, that's so meaningful. So that's most of them. But the point is, that's that's up to them and at their workplace, how they want to organize it. And there's a million ways to do it. The point is, uh, these companies are already controlled by the workers. They are, on average, outcompeting their competition because the people at the company perform better. And mind you, there ain't nothing wrong with that either. Doing good at your job, actually, most people want to. You know what I mean? Right. Unions about this all the time, and they do. When you own a piece of that sucker, like you work. Uh, you're you're way more likely to get get the best out of you and people feel good about that too like they you know what i mean like that's uh ownership also allows people to feel like uh yeah ownership responsibility pride right like that's what most people want to feel um so i think that our idea is that we can reshape uh the economy in Alabama for now, that's where we want to, that's where we work. That's where I live now, by the way, if that wasn't clear, I moved here a year ago to work on this full time. 
uh, we think we can fundamentally transform the, uh, and certainly not alone. We've met a lot of people in employee ownership, a lot of folks on the left who want to meet more folks in labor. Uh, but we think we can transform the economy to a democratic and worker-owned mode of production um, through the success of the employee ownership model. Right, right. Out competing just, everyone yeah. else. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating. It really is. And um, uh, you know, in terms of like just real material changes, um, you know, there's there's a couple things that I'm gonna bring up here in a sec, uh r- regarding labor and how, how this ties in. Uh but before I get to that, I did want wanna see if you could kind of pick up on uh, one of the other projects that y'all are working on, which is mm-hmm. to start an Alabama Center for Employee Ownership. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about that. Like, you know, why is there a need for this? And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm curious, like, because I, I know that there is different levels of state support uh, across the country for yeah. employee ownership, for cooperatives. Uh, and of course, it varies from country to country as well. But uh, so, yeah, why an Alabama Center for Employee Ownership? Yeah. So, I mean, a huge part of that was we just we met um, we we met with uh, an organization called Employee Ownership Expansion Network, and they were super supportive. Um, they were willing to give uh, if we could start what they do is start these state centers. There's 21 of them right now. Alabama will be number 22 and they could give matching funds if we help to do this. And they're they have the same mission we do, which is just create more employee owners, right? And they typically do that through conversions. So one problem for employee ownership is just that not enough business owners know it exists. Um, like, like for example, I mentioned the ESOP. The thing that makes ESOPs amazing is that you can do just a fully leveraged buyout of the company, right? So you can essentially, employees can buy their company if you use an ESOP without putting any capital down. Wow. Um, they just can use the profits of the business to pay off the loan um, that they used to originally buy the the company. So like I said, you're looking for more like 50 employees to do an ESOP is kind of the number. Like it has to be a little bit bigger of a company typically, but that's not a hard and fast rule either. Um, so yeah, they they basically what what the center will do Alabama center for employee ownership is talk to a lot more business owners about, Hey, look, the 70% of privately held businesses in this country are held by baby boomers. Uh, a lot of those folks don't have kids that are interested in taking over their business. Right. A lot of those folks don't want to sell to their competition because they don't like them, you know? Um, our pitch is you should sell to the people that you know and trust that to keep those jobs and that money in your community, sell to your employees. So that's part of what we'll be doing. The other one that we want to do is talk to workers because what if it's not just a good idea to sell to your workers? What if it's the expectation? What if every community understands that, uh, they have a right to keep these jobs and this wealth in their community and actually are putting social pressure 
on the business owner to sell to their workers, right? Right. And then there's something there, and there may be something in there for for unions as well, right? What if what if that expectation had a little bit of uh, power and, frankly, financing behind it? What would that mean, right? Well, yeah, and I think maybe that's a good good area for me to pick up with, you know, in terms of labor. Uh, <laughs> one of the ideas that Jacob and I both have been really interested in and have talked about on the show quite a bit. Uh, was something that we we heard from Jeremy Corbyn over in the UK with the Labour Party, mm-hmm. and it was the idea of right of first refusal, and the idea that in union contracts, uh, you know, it would be in the contract that if the company was to sell, the employees would have the right of first refusal. They would get first dibs to buy the company. Right. And, and maybe it's in the ESOP model or, you know, some, you know, however that looks. Um, mm-hmm. But ensuring that the workers themselves have have that opportunity. Uh, and you, you already touched on why that's important. Right. Because, of course, the workers want to keep the jobs. The workers mm-hmm. want to keep the jobs in their own community, not outsource it to another country. Right. Not outsource it to somewhere cheaper with you know lower standards and this race to the bottom. Uh, it would be a way to maintain that wealth and production locally. Uh, so that is one area where I see this intersecting with labor. Um, and, you know, I, I'm definitely curious, you know, about any other thoughts that you have on it. Um, but it's something that I haven't heard the labor movement folks talk a lot about. Uh, and I really and that was also part of the reason I wanted you on the show today is I think there ought to be more dialogue between folks who are working with cooperatives, working in employee ownership, uh, and working in the labor movement, uh, because ultimately, if the goal is to empower workers, right, these are different means to empower workers. Yeah. Uh, And how can we collaborate? How can we kind of uh, leverage our strengths together to be more successful? Uh, Because obviously, a cooperative business, an employee-owned business, can be a unionized business, Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I would just assume that an employee owned business would be less likely to engage in the vicious union busting that you see from an Amazon or a Starbucks. Not to say that, you know, again, it, de- it depends on the specifics. Like you said, um, some are more democratic than others. Some, you know, mm-hmm. are, are maybe more, um, you know, some the workers, workers have different levels of a voice, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But those are just some things that come to mind in terms of, of how it interacts with labor and how and why it's relevant. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. curious, you know, you have any other thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that is a great way to kind of sketch out um, some of the playing field here with labor and employee ownership, because it, it's something that like I appreciate that you said that uh, many employee owned firms are organized they are um yeah so you can have both um yeah i mean i think right of first refusal is uh, if is a great idea and um i think it highlights really what employee ownership from a labor perspective can bring to the table that unions can't by themselves to be frank, which is, um, you know, 
you could fight the hardest campaign imaginable, and everybody already knows this, but you could fight the hardest campaign imaginable. You could win the vote. You could get the union. And then they close up shop. You know, speaking of Starbucks, like... Right. Um. So... Are they drag their feet for a year, two years, three years before you right. get a first contract? They wait and hope that, you know, there's so much turnover in that time that... Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, the whole thing fizzles out. I mean, it's, you know, the laws are just so stacked against workers organizing. And there's always those limits to what is accomplished at the collective bargaining table. Um, mm. You know, there's management rights clauses. There are no strike mm -hmm. clauses. There are there are real concessions that are made, you know, as fantastic as collective bargaining is compared to the the mainstream alternative, which is no voice, no input, uh, no security and stability, uh, you know, the advantages are obvious, but there are real limitations to it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I mean, the other interesting, like you said, you know, the laws are so stacked in favor of um, in favor of, of ownership. Um, yeah, I mean a couple of things. So one, right of first refusal and and employee ownership more broadly allows uh, workers to have control over whether or not the business is going to sell, it's going to go broke, it's going to it's going to move, right? Um, which is obviously a a, a huge tool. Um, the other one is that I don't the the state tends to like it more. It tends to be more favorable to employee ownership, unfortunately, than to labor. Um, I, 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 of course, uh, wish and have previously fought for it to be more friendly to both. But that's right. the reality. Um, the state knows that 70% of businesses are owned by baby boomers. And most places, unless you're in New York City or L.A., uh, are deeply concerned with this fact. Um, I can tell you because we've met with them, this the folks at the city of Birmingham are very worried about losing all their businesses. So they are they've been incredibly supportive, right? Um what happens when labor is negotiating the deal, they're winning, the business owner decides they're going to close up shop or move. And there's an option for the employees to buy it. Which side is the state on in that case? They on that one, they're gonna side with the employees because they don't want this business to leave town. You know what I mean? Um, so there's there's ways to kind of play it and it, it offers certain advantages. Um, which also I mean, you can tell, like now that I've been working on this stuff, I think my 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 the way I theorize the state has really changed a lot as well. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, hopefully that. I mean, there's a there's a, I could I could go on, but I'm I'm curious about your thoughts so far. Yeah, yeah. I just I think there's just a lot of opportunity, and I think it's something that labor needs to incorporate into our strategy. Um, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned it earlier about tools in the toolbox. And for me, you know, what are we using these tools for? It's to empower working class people is to shift mm -hmm. the balance of power in our society that has gotten so, so far out of balance um, mm -hmm. and, and, and 
you know, the domination by wealthy, powerful elites and any way in which we can begin to shift that. Um, and so I think labor has to incorporate this into our strategy and see where and when it makes sense uh, to pursue. Um, I think where we find employee-owned companies and cooperatives, unions need to be at the table there to talk with those mm -hmm. workers and listen to those workers and, you mm -hmm. know, and organize those workers. Um, and I think it, it's an opportunity to really grow on, it's a, it's a win-win opportunity, I think. Uh, and, and so it's something that I'm looking forward to more folks in the labor movement really, you know, tackling this. Uh, and incorporating it. That's why I was so excited when I heard, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's Labor Party discussing it because it mm -hmm. wasn't an idea that I'd ever really heard from from a mainstream politician, um, mm -hmm. you know. And so we haven't seen a lot of conversations in the, in the American labor movement that I'm aware of, uh, but it's something that I really hope to see a lot more of because we it does connect right now you see the way in which UAW in their strike is fighting to preserve jobs. They're fighting to mm -hmm. preserve communities, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things they're fighting over in this contract fight with the big three uh, mm -hmm. is the right to strike over plant closures. Uh, yep. Assurances that their folks will be paid if a, if a factory closes up shop and, you know, is, is to go overseas or wherever, um, they're fighting to make sure that their members have work their members are paid, mm -hmm. you know, to do mm -hmm. community work uh, so that that community is not left behind because there are so many communities across this country that have been left behind. You know, they were so dependent on one or two plants in town. And when they mm -hmm. shuttered doors, you know, the whole town kind of uh, fell apart. And, and there are communities like that all over this country. In employee ownership, I can see where employee ownership is a way to address that and a way to address you know, this phenomena of outsourcing and this just broader race, race to the bottom. Um, so with that, that said, I was I'm curious, is there anything else that you wanted to add, um, whether it's about your projects or about, you know, co-ops co and worker ownership in general? Yeah, I'm just thinking about that point that you made, uh, just again, thinking about employee ownership and labor. Um I mean, one, I really appreciated your episode on Powderly. That, that, that was outstanding. And I think that it's a great historical example of how those forces can team up to, like you said, empower workers. Um, ultimately, that's our goal, too. And we just think this is a great uh, means of doing it. This is the one that allows for direct power over the workplace over the economy more broadly as this gets organized into a movement and more and more firms are successful. Um, and then also uh, a means to generate wealth, which we know has the, the greatest generational effect on families, right? Um, if you can have a piece that you own that is generating wealth, um, you know, you and your children can, can go go far with that, right? I mean, it changes lives. I've seen it. So uh, there's that. As far as, yeah, you mentioned a couple of, um, you know, 
how exciting it was to see like Jeremy Corbyn talk about these ideas. I also have to like shout out Bernie because, uh, you know, he's the reason there is a, a, a big pot of federal money for, to expand employee ownership that got written into the Chips Act, right? That's which, right. Which which Biden passed. So that is really exciting. And I remember seeing him on TV at the uh, the primary debates saying, uh, you know, every American company should have like 20% of the board should be workers. And I was, I, I remember, I was, I remember standing up and be like, what? This just a, was set on American television. Like, you know, um, right, so that's right. amazing. And, and just thinking about the UAW, right? Like, uh, it's not just, uh, 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 so employee ownership broadly is like, kind of like, if you transition a company for to employee ownership, there's tends to be three transitions, financial, who owns the company, governance. Uh, what are the governing structures? Who's going to be on the board? And the and then the day to day management operations, right? There and there's employee ownership models for all of these things. Um, some of the some of the best at the management level were were developed at, at Toyota. And there's a reason why Toyota is the most. It, it's not employee owned, but they they use these kind of management structures. And that's the reason why, arguably, and I know Zach would love this, are the best manufacture of cars in in the world you know what i mean is because of these these management systems and actually when ford was just nosediving um this must this was as toyota was was getting really strong so it must have been like late 80s early 90s but um they had a plant that was just like infamously uh uh you know like I don't even know, poorly run, I guess. Uh, and what they did was they had the workers, they had the Toyota guys come in to consult and they actually flew like, I don't know, 200 workers to Japan to see the Toyota plants. And they came back. There's a great documentary about it because these workers were like, man, I just hated my job. I was drinking every day. Like it was frankly bad at this Ford plant. And then they, institu they instituted these Toyota um you know, methods which were based on employee ownership, stuff like any worker could stop the entire line, right? And then a team would come in, consult with the worker on how to fix the underlying problem, and then they get it started. So the Ford system before was do not stop the line for anything. It costs us money. So right. they never fix any of the underlying problems, right? So they would they come in and do it, and then they talk to these workers, and they're like, it, it became Ford's best plan in the country. Uh, and they talked to these workers and they're like, man, dude, I stopped drinking. I started enjoying my job again because I had power over this. I was being listened to. You know what I mean? And it became this wildly productive plant. Like there's I don't know. There's a whole history of like uh, of how not only say some of these plants in the United States where they're where they're worried about losing their jobs could become employee owned and they could make generational wealth from it but become better and more competitive as well. Which when you're talking about employee ownership, when the firm is more competitive and better, it just means more money in the pocket of workers, you know? So, right. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you said earlier, when, when you have some skin in the game, um, you are gonna, you're going to get your best work. Uh, in those scenarios, right, yeah. Um, yeah. where you do have input, where you have some ownership, uh, and mm -hmm. it just it makes intuitive sense, right? 
and yeah. we see it in the statistics that bear that out in terms of productivity. So, um, mm -hmm. well, last thing, uh, could you share any any plugs like uh, in terms of how folks can get plugged into your work yeah. and, and find yeah, out totally. more about the Lamplight yeah. Summer Camp or, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, anything else y'all have going on? Yeah, absolutely. So we will absolutely have applications open for we. Uh, the summer camp is kids twelve to seventeen, and then we started a program for our older ones, so seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, um, as well. Um, but yeah, applications will absolutely be open in the spring. So that's lamplightsummer.com um, is for the summer camp. And then, um, our website is, uh, coopeducation.org for SMCEC. Um, there are contact links on there. Um, and yeah, do not, if you're interested, if you want, if you want to learn more, do not hesitate to reach out. Um, yeah, the email for, for the, for that one is info at coopeducation.org. There's a phone number on there. Um, and then the one for the summer camp is lamplight summer at gmail.com. So feel free to reach out and, you know, we got Facebook, Instagram as well, I believe definitely Facebook and the summer camp has Instagram, but the kids run it. So it's like, frankly, way too many pictures of me with, 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 uh, really stupid filters so <laughs> might not even be worth your time but uh, no it's it's good though. it's funny but yeah those are those are things reach out if you're if you are interested we would love to talk to anybody oh and we do have uh, with sam mountain cooperative education center um we have an incubator so uh workers you know, add a company who have an idea. First off, if you're a worker and you're interested in buying your company, with organizing your fellow workers and buying the company you work for, please reach out to us. We would love to talk. And if you are a worker with an idea to start a cooperative or employee-owned company, also reach out to us. Yeah. That is really good to know. Um, I've got some ideas I'm going to send your way. Uh, <laughs> ideas that I've been cooking <laughs> up over the years. Um, they are probably awesome. just wild ideas, but uh, I'm going to send them your way regardless. And I encourage ideas. other folks to do the same. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, yeah. thanks again for being on this morning. Um, do you have anything else before I let you go? No, that's it. I just, I, yeah, it, it, those, if you have any of those style ideas, coopeducation.org definitely reach out and adam thank you so much for having me this was this was a blast man I, I love it so yeah i really appreciate your time and getting the opportunity to be on here absolutely thanks again kevin appreciate you yeah take it easy man all right y'all so i uh definitely enjoyed that uh learned a little bit today about co-ops and employee ownership um that's what it's all about, folks, just trying to learn a little bit, see how we can empower working class folks. Um, really fascinated with the uh, the work that they're doing. Um, the summer camp in particular really, you know, interests me as a former educator. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I always regretted about my time in the classroom uh, is I felt like I never really made a lot of progress in that realm of more democratic uh collaborative style education. Um, 
where the students themselves really have skin in the game and really have ownership and really uh, are part of the process. Uh, and, and part of that was the, the school district I was teaching in was very top-down, rigid, authoritarian um, in its management style. And so that really wasn't conducive. Um, but, I, you know, I always just felt like we, we do our young people a disservice by not teaching them and, and helping them learn these skills and how to participate democratically. Um, and when I've had a chance to speak to young people about unions and, and do some school visits, one of the things that I emphasize is that, you know, unions are democratic organizations. They are run by the workers. Uh, the members elect their leaders. The members uh, participate in meetings, which are run democratically. Um, and I, I really want to emphasize that to young folks uh, to let them know that there are ways that you can have a voice. Uh, because a lot of times folks think that they can't have a voice or they don't have a voice or they don't know how to use their voice, uh, but you absolutely can and should um, because we're all in this together. We all sink or swim together. So really appreciate Kevin for his time this morning. Uh, I do hope you will check that out. Um, can't wait uh, for a few years. Uh, my daughter will be old enough to go. Uh, she's not, not old enough yet, but uh, when she is old enough to attend Lamplight, definitely looking forward to that. So I'm going to wrap up here this morning by sharing a few of the really cool events that Labor Notes has coming up. Um, of course, the big conference is in April. Uh, that is April 19th to 21st in Chicago. Uh, but they have some great meetings online that are coming up. The Stewards Workshop on November 15th is on assertive grievance handling. Um, and this is ideally for stewards and elected officers, uh, not for staffers, uh, because it is a, a limited uh, registration, limited capacity. Uh, but if you are working on grievances, if you do that in your your day to day role with the union, uh, this would be a great workshop to attend. Of course, as with every month, uh, they will be having a workshop on what to do when your union breaks your heart. Uh, next one's coming up on November 7th. And then October 23rd, this one looks really interesting. Fight the Boss, Fix the Climate. Uh, really timely. It's an online workshop uh, and it's talking about the green economy and greener technology. And we are hearing a lot about these uh, and, and it's kind of a buzzword uh, to go green. But what does it actually mean for workers? What does it mean for the folks working in these new jobs? What does it mean for workers in old jobs that are going to be phased out? Uh, so this should be an interesting workshop. And finally, of course, they are doing their Secrets of a Successful Organizer series uh, on Wednesday evenings. Uh, the first one was last night, October 11th. Uh, but if you missed that, they still have the 18th and 25th. Um, and if you can't attend this month, do attend that at some point. Uh, I encourage everyone who is interested in getting involved in the movement to uh, to take that class. It's really worth it. So y'all, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for Shop Talk this morning. Um, do tune in on Saturday. We've got a really good episode planned. Um, I will be back in the saddle Saturday. I've been out on the last two weekends. I'm uh, looking forward to be back on the main show with Jacob, and I've got a lot that's been, uh, you know, 
grinding my gears over the past couple of weeks. So I've got plenty to say on the on the show Saturday. Uh, and I'm also, also really, really looking forward to our guest panel. Um, I don't want to reveal it just yet, but it's going to be really great. Uh, workers from some really great campaigns that have been successful just in the last couple months. So looking forward to that. So this this is it for Shop Talk. I really hope uh, you enjoyed it. If you did, please share. Um, I appreciate everyone who tunes in and everyone who likes and follows and, and subscribes. Uh, all that stuff really does matter and it really uh, is helpful and we appreciate it. I encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm. Uh, don't forget that you can subscribe uh, to our newsletters. We put out Boss Watch and Last Week in Southern Labor as newsletters. Um, do sign up for those if you're interested. Uh, our new t-shirts are in, so check out the store at tvlr.fm store. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. Uh, we really appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show, as well as Labor Notes sponsoring Shop Talk. Please hit us up if you have ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in your organization or union becoming a sponsor. Our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm donate. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we really appreciate your support and can't do it without you. So if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.